Well, again, thank you for joining us, and uh, we are we are coming to we are on our second of seven I am statements in our preaching series. We started a new series last week, uh, the I am's of Jesus, Jesus in His own words. And last week we looked at Jesus, I am the bread of life, who says I am that He is the bread of life, uh, coming from John six. And this morning we will be looking at I am the light of the world, Jesus' second I am statement in the Gospel of John. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like us to read uh, the Bible from chapter 7, John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, and then we will jump to chapter 8 and go from, move from chapter, uh, verse 12 through to verse 20. It will be on the screen behind me. Uh, as well, but if you have your Bible, do choose, uh, do, do flick to it uh, at chapter 7, verse 37. Let me read it for you. One of the last and most important days of the festival, on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again, I am the the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true, because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Then they asked him, Where is your father? You know neither you know neither me nor my father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my father. He spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Well, the claim Jesus makes this morning is that he is the light of the world. And that those who follow him will no longer live in darkness, uh, will no longer live in darkness and have the light of life. We read that in verse 12. And this is a claim that I think is worth listening to and worth understanding. You see, the reality is that Jesus is making a claim to be the Messiah, the one who has been promised to come, the one who is sent from God, the one who is here to save the world. This is Jesus' claim. And in order for us to understand better this claim, I'd like us this morning uh, to look at three particular aspects of this passage. 
First, I want us to look at the context surrounding this claim. Second, I'd like us to look more closely uh, at the content of the claim. And thirdly, I'd like us to spend some time thinking about the challenge of the claim, particularly in light of the Pharisees' questions there in verse 13 uh, and 20. So first, let's look at the context surrounding the claim, shall we? And the reason I wanted us to read from chapter 7, verse 37 uh, is because we are placed here in the middle of a festival that has been celebrated uh, be, uh, here in Jerusalem. We're in the middle of a festival. Uh, it's called uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which, usually, which actually begins right back at chapter 7. And it flows through right, back, right through to the end of chapter 8. But for the purposes of understanding this particular I am statement, it is worth hearing uh, Jesus' words there, or the words of the Bible there from chapter 7, verse 37. And you will have noticed that once I, I skipped over uh, a few verses there and went straight uh, to, to verse 12. And the, the, end, the end of chapter 7 really talks a bit about the, the content of, of people's reactions to what Jesus has said. And then in your Bible, you may have even noticed there's a, there's a little line that says, the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 7, verse 59, through to 8, 11. And while we have them written here, uh, and this is not a big point at all, the story is also included in the Gospel of Luke, uh, there is more evidence to suggest that these 11 or 12 verses were not originally included in uh, the Gospel of John. And so for the first few centuries, the church and many of the uh, early church fathers never commented on these verses in uh, the Gospel of John because they simply uh, weren't there. And so while it's not a, a big point this morning, it's just worth noting. And if you'd like more information about that, do, do get in touch. But when removed, when those verses are removed, uh, you see from the narrative of how well it reads for us. Let's just quickly uh, read along again. On the last and most important day of a festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. Uh, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believe in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see how, how well it flows there seems to be the continuation uh, of the story. And Jesus is at this festival and it's the last and most important day of this festival. And as this festival is known as the Feast of Tabernacles, which we see in, in chapter 7, verse 2, it's a, it's a holy feast, a holy celebration of harvest established in the Old Testament and established by the Lord in Mount Sinai in Exodus 23 and Leviticus 23. And in chapter 8, verse 20, we're also told that Jesus is there in the temple of Jerusalem and is, is in a place known as the treasury, otherwise known as the court of women. And I've got a couple of pictures here for you to, to show. Here is here's the temple, uh, this is with the, the outer boundary of the whole temple, 
Uh, you, can, you can see there it's quite a large, uh, large space. And uh, within that, there are various courts and areas uh, of the temple where uh, different sacrifices and ceremonies will occur. This one now is more uh, a, a, a picture of, of the inner, sort of the, the main part of the, of the temple. And then the next picture that we will see uh, as, it, as we go further is where, uh, known as the Court of Women, you'll see those four pillars there, and I've outlined that in red uh, for you. And you see, this is the, the Court of Women where Jesus would be would be teaching uh, this, this particular passage. And this whole area can hold up to 6,000 people. And people will come and bring their offerings to the Lord and these large columns there that are so impressive, these things would be so huge. And you see, at the, the end of the first day of this festival, right, they would, they would light the top of these columns. And these, as they lit the top of these huge columns with their oil lamps, there would be much celebrating and rejoicing as this occurred, singing, celebration of music, uh, dancing, that sort of thing. And this would go on day and night. This would occur day and night, day and night. And with these lights illuminating the temple and to, to, uh, what's been known as also lighting up really the whole, the whole city. You could see it from everywhere uh, in the city as these lights were on for seven days in a row and seven nights in a row. And then as the festival ends, uh, these, these things are wrapped up later in the week and the lights are extinguished and, and the nights then turn to darkness. And so it is here, though, where Jesus is saying these words, where Jesus is telling these people that are hearing him these, these words, here in this part of the temple, surrounded by the light of these lamps which are going to be extinguished. And, and in reality, they may well have already been extinguished for the, the previous night was the last night of this festival. And they would extinguish the lights at that time. And so Jesus now makes the claim that he is actually the light of the world. And think about how relevant and how illustrative Jesus is being to the people he is talking to. He's in the middle of this main area, in the middle of this tem- the temple, a thoroughfare, during a festival where people are bringing their offerings to God and where there is light constantly raining for seven days straight. Seven days and nights. And it's in this place he looks around, he looks around for those who are coming and going and declares that he is the light of the world. There is great symbolism here, great symbolism of Jesus doing this. For when these lamps are no longer burning, when the oil has run out, when the time of the festival ends, the light no longer shines. The light no longer keeps the darkness out. The nights will return, the darkness returns. It was a temporary light, a temporary light that only lasted for seven nights and seven days. But Jesus claimed that those who will follow him, the light will never go out. They will never walk in darkness because they have the light of life. Further, remember that he is in the temple 
This is a place where God is said to reside, the most holy place. Uh, that's where God is meant to be residing, in this most holy place, the central part of the temple. And Jesus is there, sent by God, God himself, making a claim that he, that he knows God. In fact, he's making a claim that's more than that. He's making a claim that he, in fact, is God. He is the Messiah. But to walk in the light and have the life of God that he promises, this comes through him, not through the offerings or the sacrifices that they have been doing through the festival. No, it comes through Jesus. It is not the temple that will give you the light of life. It is not the temple where you might know God. It is not through the temple where one is saved from the separation and sin, uh, saved from sin and separation from God. No, it is not through that. It is through Jesus. Jesus who comes to save and is the light of the world. And I think it's amazing. It's amazing to know the context in which Jesus is speaking these words, which then make these words so much more powerful, so much greater to understand. That here, in this place, Jesus is using the things that are part of the temple, part of the festival, to declare and to show and to symbolise who uh, he is. And so this is the context surrounding this claim Jesus is making. But secondly, we see, or we want to also look at the content of his claim. The content of the claim. At the most base level, Jesus is making a messianic claim. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. He is claiming to be the one in whom all God's people have been expecting, in whom all God's people have been expecting to come for hundreds and hundreds of years. They have been waiting for the Messiah to arrive. And so this is a big claim by Jesus. This is a big claim. In our day, we don't tend to have people make big claims like this. Sure, we might have politicians over-promising what, in the claims that they uh, make uh, in, their, in their run-ups to elections and, and so forth, you know, the claims they make to their constituents. We might have non-profits making very big claims about how they may alleviate hunger or, or water shortages or, or heal those with leprosy or, or, or deal with the issues of slavery. And we might have sporting teams make big claims about how good they're going to be for the upcoming season. But, but making a messianic claim, claiming to be the Messiah, well that isn't really a claim that we come across these days, is it? It's not really a claim we hear, and if we did hear that, it wouldn't generally be accepted. And here, Jesus is making this claim. He is making such a claim. He is claiming to be the one promised by the prophets and the writings of the Old Testament, and he is claiming to fulfil the scriptures and these promises uh, from the Lord, particularly these promises uh, and, uh, and writings made by the Lord's mouthpiece, Isaiah. Isaiah, 42, uh, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6 to 7. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles 
to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Isaiah 49 verse 6 It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And again, Isaiah 51.4 Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. From Isaiah we see that there is a clear purpose, a clear mission, that the one who is promised to come, the Messiah, promised to come and save the world is the one who will be the light of the world. The one who will bring the light not only to the Jews, not only to Israel, to God's people of the Old Testament, no, but it will also go to the Gentiles, everyone else, the Gentiles, the rest of the world, all the nations. And remember the context I've just explained. Jesus is here in the temple, lights are about to be extinguished, he then declares himself to be the light of the world and those who hear him, the religious leaders, they also know that the Messiah is to be one who they are to expect and who will be light in the darkness. They will know this imagery, that he will be a light to the nations. And so Jesus here claims also to be someone who fulfills the Old Testament promises, the Old Testament prophecies of of Isaiah. And one of the, the many illustrations of the Gospel is the idea of bringing people from darkness into light. You may think of other examples in Scripture as well. You know, we, we, we read of, of those who are lost will be found, those who are, are broken will be healed, those who are in bondage will be redeemed, those who are dirty will be made clean, those who are dead will be made alive. And here we find a, a, similarly a, a familiar uh, metaphor that those who are in darkness will be brought into light. Paul uses this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 when he speaks of what Jesus has done for us through the cross. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And seeing we are in the Gospel of John, we're reminded also that John begins this Gospel. In chapter 1, John begins with his prologue to this gospel by telling us that in Jesus was life and and that life was the light of men and women. And so to come to Jesus, to follow Jesus, to place our faith in Jesus means coming to the one who shines the light of God to us. The content of Jesus' claim is that he is the Messiah, a stunning claim itself, but even more so, Even more so, it is the fulfilment of the promises of God to his people that he will be a light to the entire world, a light 
to all nations, that those who follow him will no longer live in darkness, but will have the light of life within them. Through Jesus we no longer live in darkness, but we live in light of the eternal light of God. As the book of Revelation reiterates in chapter 22, verse 5, there will be no more light. They, being the people of God, will not need a light or a lamp or the light of the sun. The Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. This, we find, is the content of the claim. And so finally there is the the challenge to this claim. The challenge to this claim. Well, this week it was terrific for our family to to be able to take our eldest girl back to school, as I'm sure many other families have been celebrating uh, this week, the return of school, and there was much excitement around the school gates, uh, on particularly on Monday and Tuesday. And as I uh, took her there to, to school, one of her friends, let's call him James, turned up, and he began chatting away to us. And evidently, James has a passion for cars because he could not stop talking about cars. He told us about the Porsche Boxster and the Nissan GTS that he'd just seen before arriving uh, at school. Well, at one point in the conversation, uh, I mentioned to him that I, only a few days ago, I'd seen a, a Ferrari convertible. Wow. Talk about the Inquisition. Soon enough, what colour was it? Where was it? Was it a coupe? What kind? A million questions were then, were then coming at me. And it was great. And he, 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 was, he was amazed that I had seen a Ferrari only a few days ago. And then, and then a few of his friends came along. They, they, they also started gathering uh, around a little bit. And, uh, and, and I overhear James turning to his friends and go, Hey, hey, do you know... You know, Ella's dad saw a Ferrari three days ago and started talking about it all over again. Oh, it was, it was great. And I share, uh, I share this story because it reminded me of this passage we've been thinking about this week, this passage here. There's, there's something uh, with this story that, that reminded me of the, the way the Pharisees questioned Jesus. They questioned Jesus about the veracity, about the accuracy uh, of his claim. And James had no idea whether or not I was telling the truth. Of course I was, I had seen a Ferrari, uh, but there was no other person to witness or to verify this particular fact. And, And what I'd said, there was no way anyone around me could prove that I had seen this particular car. Uh, but James took this at face value and decided to share it, uh, with his friends. Uh, and, and it was great. But one of the problems that the Pharisees here have with Jesus and with his claim is that there, there is no other human that can verify it. There is no other witness to say that he, what he is claiming is true. And so the statement made by Jesus uh, and, and then the challenge from the Pharisees is, is this, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid because you're only saying this by yourself. You're the only one that can, can prove this. These guys, of course, are the, the Pharisees 
Uh, These guys are are dealing with the minutiae of the Old Testament law. They dissect it. They look at it from different angles and they're very particular about the details of it. And one aspect of this law is that when a claim is to be made, it requires other people to verify, another witness to verify such a claim. And the point the Pharisees can't uh, get past here in Jesus' words, in Jesus' claim, is that he is making this claim all by himself without others around, without others being able to verify it. And so this leads Jesus to, to respond in something that is somewhat, we could say a somewhat confusing way, and he pushes back on this, this challenge. He, uh, he, he pushes back by saying that the, his father, God the Father, was a, is a witness, of course. Uh, that, that Of course, the Pharisees, though, think he's talking about the, his, his human father, but really he is talking about God the Father. And so he, Jesus ends up saying some highly offensive things to the Pharisees. Like, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Well, these are the Pharisees he's talking to. These are the religious elites. They are there in the temple. They are strict in their obedience to the law. These are the guys who are to know God, who are to to tell others about God. These guys have been trained. They're in positions of religious power and authority. And here is Jesus just writing them off as not knowing God at all. You do not know my father. Ouch. Ouch. And so if they have any understanding of what Jesus is saying back to them, they should be highly, highly offended. This is what is starting to get the Pharisees riled up about this man Jesus. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is claiming a personal authority. He is claiming the authority of God as the Messiah sent by him, the one who knows God as God the Father. And while the Pharisees come and and judge him by human standards, he knows that he has come as the Messiah to save the world. To save the world and when he returns again he will come also to judge the world. And so there we find the challenge from the Pharisees to to Jesus' claim. Well, with the context surrounding the claim, the content of the claim itself and now the challenge to this claim, we, well, what, what does that mean for us? And I've got three or four things for us to, to, to close on, uh, maybe points of application or, or exhortation. Uh, and the first is that my prayer is that you will accept the claim Jesus makes here. You see, the claim here is that he is the light of the world, that he is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah come to bring, uh, bring you out of darkness and into his glorious light. Through the gospel, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus himself has come to lead you, to show you, to reveal to you your need for God and your ability to know him through placing your trust in him. Through these things, through his death and resurrection, you also can know the light of life. And so I wonder, is God shining his light into your heart this morning? I pray he is. 
Second, my prayer is that you will also see the exclusivity of the claim that Jesus is making. The exclusivity of the claim that Jesus makes here. For this passage does raise the often difficult question, I think, of how we are to view the claims of Jesus. Often we might come across people who believe uh, that all religions teach uh, the same thing, that they all lead up the same mountain, that we're all all walking little paths that are all going to meet on a main road and we're all heading together uh, to some particular place. Well, from Jesus' point of view, this, this isn't the case. Jesus claims to know God. He claims to be the Messiah. He claims to have personal authority of God. Jesus claims an exclusivity about himself and how we are to know him, how we are to know God. And so as we follow Jesus in the light, we should be aware. should be aware that we follow someone who makes a higher and more exclusive claim than anyone else and any other religion or religious thought in our world. Third, my prayer is that you will see or will know the openness of the claim that Jesus makes here. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is also stating that he is for the entire world. He is for everyone. Jesus is not just a light for the Jews, not just a light for Israel. He is not just a light for the people of the Old Testament. No, this light, this Jesus, he is for all. He is for everyone. Everyone and anyone. He is for the world over. And this might sound somewhat contradictory, I suppose, to the to his exclusivity. But the exclusivity is about him, about he himself, his identity. And this openness for all is, is the an openness for all to come, for all to come and believe. There are no restrictions on who can believe. There is no constraint to accept and believe in this light because of your ethnicity or because of your background or your marriage or your skin colour or your financial status. There is no restraint. Jesus is for all and for anyone. There is no constraint in being saved or redeemed or healed or found or made alive or shown the light of life. For Jesus has come to be the light of the world. Jesus has come for everyone. And fourthly, I think it goes without saying, well not it doesn't go without saying, but it's worth saying, sorry, that my prayer for you this morning is that uh, you will also shine the light of Jesus yourself into our world. I want to just read a couple of verses from Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. This is Jesus speaking. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You also are a light to this world. Of course, you and I, we're not Jesus. We're not here to save the world. 
We can't save the world. We ourselves are not messiahs. But as followers of Jesus, we are also a reflection of the light of Jesus. And so as we go about our life, may we uh, walk in that light. May we reflect that light to others. May we share that light with others in the dark places of our world. This reminds me of the, um, of the Christian band DC Talk. If you, were grown, if you grew up in the 1990s at all, you will know this Christian band called DC Talk. And one of my favourite songs of theirs is called In the Light. And uh, uh, what the verse of this speaks particularly to this, uh, this point and to this passage. Uh, their chorus, sorry, it goes like this. I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. O Lord, be my light and be my salvation because all I want is to be in the light. All I want to be is in the light. And it's my prayer this morning that as you know that Jesus has come to be the light of the world, that we too may reflect that light this morning and reveal that light to our world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and for your Son Jesus. We thank you for for sending him as a light to our world. Lord, as we follow him, may we walk in that light and reflect that light to our world. May we understand more of who Jesus is because of what you have shared with us in John chapter 7 and 8. And Lord, as Jesus makes this claim to be the light, may we uh, be drawn to it. May we be drawn to uh, the light of life. Lord, we pray uh, the different particulars that are going on in our lives this week. Um, Lord, help us to, to, to bring light into those different situations that we find ourselves in. Once again, we thank you for this morning and and for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.